Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. And that, of course, was to prove that he was the Messiah. And, of course, the, uh, he did that, and the uh, Pharisees rejected him. So that was what we, decided, what we determined was the unforgivable sin that was uh, committed against Christ. So uh, that, the unforgivable sin was that generation of Israel rejecting Jesus as Messiah to his face uh, after he had performed miracles. Okay, I was wondering if you were doing <laughs> You're walking out on me now? We just got going. Uh, rejecting Jesus to his face after he had performed miracles by the Spirit, proving he was the Messiah, and instead of believing him, they attributed uh, his work to the power of Satan. So with that, you know, today there's a lot of debate about what the unforgivable sin is, but no one can today commit the unforgivable sin yet because you cannot reject Jesus to his face because he's not here. Now, will people be able to commit the unforgivable sin during the thousand-year millennial reign? Yes, they will be able to, and that will, that's where we'll get again uh, later. Again, this is kind of a like an overview of the end times to give you kind of an idea of what's going to happen, and then starting the tenth, we're going to start diving deep into the end times and getting into the the millennial reign and the you know, the, the bottomless pit and release of Satan and all that stuff. Uh, that's going to be a lot more in depth. So right now, you're kind of getting a broad overview about what's happening. Uh, so of course. Uh, today, there's no sin that you can commit that is not forgiven by the blood of Jesus, but you have to know him as your Savior to benefit from that. Connor, go ahead and take your ears out. Okay. All right, well then, I want to I see face. All right, no, I wanted your earbuds out. Okay, I, I just want to see eyeballs <coughs> on me. I'm better looking than anything on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, now that that was that, that there were more consequences to their actions, Israel's actions of rejecting Jesus as Messiah, than just the unforgivable sin. And we're going to really look at those today. So look at your Bibles in Matthew chapter twelve. <clears throat> Matthew chapter twelve. We're going to start reading verse number thirty-eight. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. Now, remember, Jesus, this is continuing what we looked at last week. Jesus just cast out a demon from a mute person. He just gave them a clear-cut sign that he was the Messiah. They rejected him. Now they're asking him for another sign. Uh, verse 39, but he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign be given to it but the sign of pro the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So they had just seen a sign. So when they're, when they're asking for another sign, they're not being sincere. They're, they're not, you know, genuinely saying, we really want to believe, we really want to know, just please tell us. They're kind of mocking him. And like, oh, well, if you're really the Messiah, give us a sign. He's already given him a sign. So, and he's already condemned them and said that he is no longer going to try to reach that generation of Israel. 
He is now going to change his ministry and how he behaves on earth. And so uh, he basically says, in my ministry on earth, I'm not giving you any more signs to prove to you that I am the Messiah. The, I've only showed you it, I've already shown you enough, and you've rejected it. Then he says, the only sign you will get to prove to you that I am the Messiah is my resurrection. After my death, I'm going to be you know, raised up three days later. Now, someone he's going to have to die for this to come true. And if someone if he's going to die then someone has to kill him. And it was the Jewish leadership that orchestrated his, his death. They were the ones who convinced the crowd to rally against him. They were the ones who convinced the Roman government to have him crucified. So the very people who are asking for a sign are the people he's saying, you're not going to get one. The only sign you're going to get is my resurrection, and you're not going to believe that anyway. Uh, now the irony of what they're doing is they're asking for a sign, and he's already given them one. And now, since they've rejected him, he's washing his hands of them. The only sign they're going to get is after the fact that he's been murdered and he rises again. So he makes no effort to win them, to prove to them that he is who he says he is after this moment in Matthew chapter 12. But there are other changes that take place in his ministry from this moment on. So if you look at his ministry in Matthew chapter 12... Uh, his ministry from Matthew 1 through 12, and then his ministry from Matthew 13 on, you're going to notice some changes. <coughs> what happened? Is it there? What's it say? It's not me, it's the printer. There may be another one over there, I don't know. But, uh, so, from Matthew 1 through 12, before this moment, he spoke openly about his ministry about who he was. He openly declared that he was the Messiah. And he told people to repent for the kingdom at, 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 the kingdom is at hand. After this moment in Matthew 12, he only teaches in parables. There are no parables in Matthew 1 through 12. Until the Pharisees reject him, and he changes his ministry, then... He starts teaching in parables. In fact, the switch is so dramatic that it, it confuses his uh, apostles. Over in Matthew chapter 13, uh, verse number 10. The <coughs> uh, Bible says, And the disciples came to, and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Again, he's never spoken in parables before. Now he's teaching in parables. Before he was teaching very clear-cut lessons I'm the Messiah, you have to repent, this is what's going to happen, the kingdom of God's at hand. Now he's, he's teaching in parables that, that they don't really understand. Verse 11, and he answered and said to them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he uh, shall have more abundance, but whosoever, but whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seen, see not, and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Esaias, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. So Jesus, he intentionally obscures what he's teaching, because he says, I've, I've taught them openly up until now, and they've rejected me. They've not, you know, I've given them very clear-cut, 
teaching about who I am and what is expected and they've rejected me and they've ignored me and they've spoken against me. So now I'm not speaking to them anymore. Now I'm speaking to those people who truly are seeking after the truth of God. Um, and so he, he now obscures what he's saying uh, to the leadership of Israel because they committed the unforgivable sin. Next thing you notice about his ministry is in Matthew 1 through 12, uh, before Matthew chapter 12, he performed miracles on anyone at any time and nothing was required of them. They didn't have to ask for a miracle. He openly and eagerly and willingly performed miracles on, on anybody. We looked this morning in Sunday school at his first miracle where he turned the water into wine. No one asked him to do it. Now Mary came to him and said, they're out of wine, do something. He said no, and she went and told the, the people, hey, do whatever he says, by faith believing. But the, the couple didn't come to him and say, Jesus, we believe thou can do us all things, please make us wine. No one asked. He just openly performed the miracle. He healed people without any requirement on them. They didn't have to be Jew, Gentile, nothing. He healed anybody at any time for any reason. After this moment, he only healed them based on their faith. He only does miracles according to their faith in him as Messiah. That's why after this moment, he asked people, you know, the blind man, uh, do you believe I can heal you? Yes, I believe. By your faith, you are made whole. The woman who touched his, the hem of his garment, by your faith, you are made whole. He, they, he only healed people after this moment based on their faith in him. Uh, in Matthew chapters 1 through 12, he openly declares the kingdom. He openly declares, I'm the Messiah, the kingdom is at hand, repent, believe me, follow me. Tells everybody that he meets that he is the Messiah. After this, he tries to keep it a secret. He tells everyone, you know, people he heals, don't tell them what happened here. You know, heals a blind man, don't tell people what I've done for you. Tells his disciples, don't tell people who I am. Look over at Matthew chapter 16. Ah! Huh? The uh, leadership of Israel rejected him as Messiah after a clear-cut sign. He showed them he was the Messiah, and they, they rejected him and turned the nation against him. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse number 15. <clears throat> uh, he saith unto them, But who say ye that I am? Simon Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it to thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, uh, that thou art Peter, and upon rock I will build my church. Uh, then skip down to verse number 20. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Now that, that's always confused me too. You know, later on in the, in the, in the Gospels, he'll heal someone and say, don't tell anybody what, who, who did it. Uh, he's kind of hiding his identity. And I've always wondered, why, why did you do that? But you have to understand it in the context of what happened before Matthew chapter 12. Before Matthew chapter 12, he's openly proclaiming he's the Messiah. He's openly healing people. He's openly teaching the kingdom. Then Israel rejected him to his face. And he said, I'm no longer going to try for them. Their, their hard, hearts are closed. They're never going to believe. So I'm not going to work for them anymore. I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to work on a select group of people, and that's why he had that switch in his ministry. He wasn't always secretive, but now there's a purpose to it. There, there was no reason for him to teach people who would not believe. 
There was no reason to give truth to people who would not receive it. Uh, finally, in the first part of Matthew, um, first part of Matthew, he, he teaches everyone. He's teaching Jew, Gentile. He's teaching Pharisee and, and slave. Anyone that's there, he's going to teach them about the kingdom of God. After this moment, he only prepares his disciples. He does teach, but he teaches in parables because he doesn't really want to reveal the truth. But he spends most of his ministry discipling the apostles, preparing them for their ministry once he was going to leave the earth. So there's a moment where Jesus made a specific change in his ministry and in how he interacted with people because of Israel's leadership. They saw his miracles. They knew the teaching. They knew that what he did proved that he was the Messiah. They rejected him and credited his work to Satan because they were jealous that he was getting a bigger crowd than they were. They were upset. He was kind of disturbing the norm of what they were doing. They crossed the line that they could not come back from. And so that generation of Israel was condemned under that sin. Does that seem fair to you? Well, I mean, a couple guys reject him, so he, he condemns the whole nation? If the president decides to go to war, does that affect us? They decide to raise taxes, does it affect us? Yeah. Leadership makes decisions that affect people that have nothing to do with it all the time. Um, you know, it's always been that case with God, too. When, when the nation of Israel, when the leaders of Israel were obeying God and following God and faithful to God, it's hot out there, John. <laughs> when they did what God told them to do, God blessed the entire nation. So they benefited from Israel's leadership's good decisions, but when Israel's leadership rejected God, the entire nation suffered because of it. And that's the way it's always been with God. The leadership uh, is what determines who gets blessed and who uh, has to suffer. Uh, when the leaders did something evil, God judged the entire nation. So the, the leaders would mess up, and they send the, God sends the entire nation in captivity. I mean, think of Daniel. Daniel was a good guy. He was a faithful Jew. He loved God. He walked with God. Even in captivity, he is faithful to God. But he's in captivity because some Jewish leader somewhere turned his back on God. And so because the king rejected God, Daniel had to suffer. And that's the way it's always been. Uh, Daniel was a good guy. He worshipped God. But because of leadership, he's in captivity. And there's nothing new in Scripture or in our everyday lives that we, we don't understand that. Leadership's decisions affect everyone under them. As a pastor, my decisions affect you. Now, not as drastically. You know, I don't think I'm going to do anything and you're going to be taken as a slave somewhere. Um, uh, I, that's not going to happen. But uh, if I make good decisions and I'm doing what God's called me to do, then the church is blessed. If I make bad decisions and the church suffers because of it. Uh, it may not be fair, but that's how it is. And that's how it was with the nation of Israel. When they led, they were led by corrupt men, unwilling to recognize Jesus as Messiah, so they all had to suffer. And as a result, Jesus makes a specific command. 
uh, chapter 13 of Luke covers the exact same event. So look over in Luke chapter 13. We're going to reading verse number 34. I'll give you a minute to get there. Luke 13, 34. Luke 13, verse 34 says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. So here's Jesus saying, Look, I, I, I would have set up my kingdom a long time ago, but you people are stubborn and stupid. Uh, everybody I've sent to you, including myself, you've rejected them, you've killed them, you've murdered them, you've ignored them, you've gone against them. I would have, I, the kingdom would have been here long ago, but you people were too stubborn to believe it. Then verse 35, behold your, house is, uh, behold, your house is left unto you desolate, and verily I say unto you, ye shall not see me until the time come when ye shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. This is in the middle of, of his ministry. It's, it's not right before he dies. He's still got a couple years left of ministry right here. And they rejected him. So he tells them they will not see him again until they do what he asks them to do. What does he ask them to do? He says, I'm not coming back until, ever, until you do this. Until they declare, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Until they, as a nation, Willingly and openly declare he is the Messiah. This, <laughs> we'll get to that next week. <clears throat> now, this phrase, it comes out of Psalms 118. It's a, a messianic psalm. It was a psalm that was written as kind of a song that Israel would sing to welcome the Messiah as he came in to set up his kingdom. It's speaking of the Messiah in Israel, and they were told to sing this song as a praise to the Messiah as he came to set up his kingdom. Jesus, uh, they knew this in Jesus' day. This isn't, they knew Psalms 118. This wasn't, you know, odd. So they know what he's quoting. They know what he's referring to when he says this. Now, Jesus did enter the kingdom before his crucifixion on Palm Sunday. Remember what happened on Palm Sunday? Those who were crying, crucify him, a few days later, those who during these chapters, were rejecting him. What were they saying? Hosea, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But it wasn't the whole nation. It was just a few of them. Look over in Luke chapter 19. <clears throat> Verse 37. <clears throat> And when he came, was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Psalms 118. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. So there, there, when Jesus is coming in, people who, who had not 
who had rejected him, who were going to turn their back on him, they're singing Psalms 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They think that he's coming into the subject kingdom. Of course, he was not. But they see him coming in Jerusalem, so they're singing praise to him. The Pharisees hear it. They know what they're saying. They know what it means. And they say, tell Jesus, hey, tell these people to, to stop. But Jesus rebukes them. He's saying, you know, they, they're saying that he knows uh, that he isn't the Messiah. So the Pharisees say, we know you're not the Messiah, so make these people stop saying that you are the Messiah. Now, Jesus says, look, I am so much the Messiah that if these people don't tell, don't declare it, the rock's going to declare it. Someone's going to declare I'm the Messiah because I am the Messiah. Now, here's proof that the Word of God will not return void. A thousand years before Jesus entered Jerusalem, David wrote Psalms 118, prophesying this would happen. And that is exactly what happened when he came into the, into the city. So if a human didn't do it, then the rocks would do it because God said it would happen. Now, this is not the moment, of course, we know that now, that Jesus was coming to set up his kingdom. So it was kind of confusing to the people who were there, and it may be confusing to us, not really understanding it. But it isn't a fulfillment of a promise because it's not the fulfillment of the requirement. It's not the fulfillment of the promise of Psalms 118 because Psalms 118 and Jesus' requirement isn't that a group of people near Jerusalem do it, but every single Jew on the face of the planet does it. And that didn't happen. There are Pharisees who didn't do it. There were other people who, weren't in, who, who were nowhere nearby who didn't do it because they didn't know what was going on. Uh, the requirement that Jesus put on Israel in Luke 13 was that all of Israel must believe and receive him or he would not return. We've said that the entire, entire study. That's what's going to mark the end of the age of the Gentiles. Not the rapture. We're, we're not waiting on that. You know, don't be like, oh man, that's going to happen before Jesus comes back. To you. No, no, no. Rapture is a different thing. This is before he comes in such of his kingdom. So all of Israel can still reject him. We still got the rapture coming. Pretty soon, we hope. <laughs> yeah. But, but I thought he would come back in seven years. Yeah, once the, the rapture is what starts the, the time clock of Daniel's 70 weeks. But, but all of them have to cry out? They will. Oh. In the, in the, we're going to see a little bit of that next week. What's going to make them cry out? But then we get deep into it in our deeper study about Israel is going to very clearly recognize Jesus as Messiah. No, 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 no. It's gonna be it's gonna be bad for them, not us. Again, we're we're not here, so who cares? I don't, care. I don't know any Jews. Well, it makes me want to more. Huh? We don't need to worry about the Jews because they're all going to get saved one day anyway. Not the ones who are dying. Well, no, not them. <laughs> The ones who are alive right at the end of the tribulation, who suffer through all that. Yeah, yeah, they're they're a really very hard group to get. Them and 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 Americans, very hard to reach because <laughs> we don't need God. But anyway, so all of Israel, all of Israel as a nation, has to do what is required to receive the promise of the Messiah. So here's what I'm saying, and kind of breaking things down here. Uh, the Messiah came to Israel as was prophesied all throughout the Old Testament. He came as a virgin, as was prophesied. He came to the city of David, Bethlehem, which was prophesied. He, his ministry 
completely fulfilled every prophecy of the Old Testament that was given about him. He came, he proved to everyone that he was the Messiah. And it really shows you how stubborn people can be because, you know, if you know your, your Bible, you know your church history, even his brothers and sisters didn't believe he was the Messiah, which you got to believe Mary was on his side. You got to believe Mary was like, no, 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 promise, virgin born. I, you know, promise, ask your daddy. Gabriel told him, and just like, yep, he ain't my kid, he ain't married, he's God's kid. Uh, but they still didn't believe him, even though he performed miracles and proved that he was, they rejected him. Um, so when he came, Israel, through their leadership, rejected him as, of, as Messiah and committed the unforgivable sin. Now, because of that, Jesus withdrew the offer to bring his kingdom to that generation. If they had not rejected him, he would have died, he would have risen again, but after he rose, he would have set up his kingdom. But, but again, he knew this was going to happen. So it's not like, you know, they're in heaven scrambling for plans. Uh, they, he knew it was going to happen, but this is the reason that he, he did that. Uh, he no longer taught about it publicly. Uh, he told his followers not to tell people that he was the Messiah. He went from Matthew 12 on, he went on a one-way trip to the cross, the grave, and the resurrection. That was his entire focus after that. And he's going to remain, and that's in his focus, until a future generation of Israel meets Jesus' demand and confesses him as Messiah. Until that happens, he will not return. When that happens, and it will happen because the Bible tells us it will happen. So we can look at the world now and say, man, there's no way. Humanly speaking, there's no way for every Jew at one time to suddenly believe, say, ah, our forefathers were wrong, we were wrong, he's the Messiah, we accept him. Humanly speaking, that's not going to happen. But it is going to happen. Because God said it would. Um, and we saw this in Leviticus chapter 26 several weeks ago. Leviticus 26, starting in verse number 40. You've got to turn the on the screen and I'll read it for you. <clears throat> if, they shall confess their iniqu- if they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespasses which they have trespassed against me, and that also they have walked contrary unto me, and that I also have walked contrary unto them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled, and then they accept the punishment of their iniquity, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob, and also my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham. I will remember, and I will remember the land. So Daniel, you know, Daniel, we saw this, Daniel tried to bring this to be. While he's in captivity, Daniel prayed this prayer of, repentance, national confession of sin. He confessed not only his sins, but his forefathers' sins for turning against God and for forsaking God. And this promise still stands. God says, look, when Israel, not just, that's why it's not one Jew confessing, oh yeah, because Jews can get saved all the time. It happens all the time. It is possible. And it's a wonderful thing. But one Jew confessing their sin is not enough. Every single Israelite has to confess not only their sins, but the sins of the Pharisees who rejected Jesus. They have to say they were wrong, we were wrong, our entire history is wrong, you truly are the Messiah. Uh, and when that happens, you know, he'll come back. Because he, he told them, look, you can do two things. You can keep the law perfectly. Not going to happen. Or, 
the entire nation can confess me as, the, as their Savior. So that's the loophole. They would receive the kingdom once they confessed their sins and the sins of their forefathers. They had to confess that their forefathers rejected Jesus as Messiah and had him crucified. That's the demand Jesus makes before he will come back to set up his kingdom. Now what's amazing is this was written by Moses 1,400 years before Jesus was even born. God already knew what was going to happen. He already knew what was going to be required, and He was preparing them to know how to receive the Messiah. Now, that gives us a problem. What is going to lead Israel to, as a nation, confess Jesus as the Messiah? We're going to see that next week. Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.